Welcome to the Orthodox West Gazette, a miscellany of talks, interviews, ponderings, and presentations. Today I'll be talking with Father John Finton, pastor at St. Michael Orthodox Church in Whittier, California. We'll be discussing the very scary topic of just what we're to make of Halloween. Father John, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, you are the priest, the pastor at St. Michael's in Whittier, California. Is that right? Correct. How long have you been uh, the, the rector there? I am starting my fifth year here. Fifth year, excellent. And has the church been there um, the, the same time period? Or are you did you plant the church, or did you come to the church later? No. The, the parish was formed in 1977 as an independent Anglican parish. They were looking okay. for a home. This was about the time, well, it was the time when uh, the Episcopal Church USA was going through its various uh, dislocations. And right. so they formed this independent Anglican parish. And four years later, in 1981, they were received into the Antiochian Archdiocese. So this congregation has been in the Archdiocese since 81. Okay, I'm wow. Third pastor in that time period. Um, the founding pastor reposed in 2007, and then I, uh, the second pastor was here, and then I came in in 2015. Okay, wow. That's wonderful. I had no idea it had been around that long. Mm-hmm. One of the... That's pretty great. <clears throat> ...older Western Rite parishes in the Archdiocese. And how long have you been a priest in the Archdiocese? Um, Twelve years. Twelve years. Wonderful. So you've got some um, experience under your belt, not just of being a pastor, but specifically of being a, um, a an Orthodox priest. And were you what uh, Western Rite that entire time? Yes, I served a mission in the Detroit area. Came here. Excellent. Prior to that, I was a Lutheran pastor for sixteen years. So you are uh, well acquainted with the Western liturgical life and tradition. I would like to think so. <laughs> um, well, that's good because I wanted to ask you today about um, something that's coming up quickly in our calendar here in the West, and that is what's quickly becoming probably one of the more uh, celebrated, I don't know if that's the right word, observed anyway, um, sort of holidays, and that is Halloween. In my lifetime, I think it's it's become more and more observed, and uh, probably behind Christmas, it, it might be the, the biggest holiday. I don't know, Thanksgiving's probably up there, just in the popular sort of American um, celebration. Um, but this isn't something that's that's in, in most old world Eastern Orthodox countries. This is something peculiar to the West. Can you tell us a little bit about just what exactly Halloween is? Yes, but make, let me make an observation first. Um, okay. I think that the reason that Halloween has increased um, is not just a marketing ploy, although I think there's a lot of that, but also as the um, as the United States becomes more secularized, in other words, um, religious in the bad sense of the term, nominally religious, is what I mean. Mm. These 
these other things begin to overshadow what is so necessary and important, what used to be very common in the church. All Hallows' Eve, Halloween means All Hallows' Eve. Halloween is conflation of that longer name. And it has to do with the, um, the day before, the eve of All Saints' Day. What has happened is that that celebration has been conflated with what is usually considered customs having to do with the anniversary of the departed, All Souls Day, or as they call them in Latin American countries, the Day of the Dead. Those two days, November 2nd and October 31st, have been conflated. So that Halloween is no more about All Saints Day, but rather is about ceremonies and practices that have to do with celebrating the dead or acknowledging the departed in mm -hmm. some way. None of these are liturgical. Um, the dressing up in costumes, going through and asking for candies and sweets um, or other delectables, these are not liturgical practices, but folklore practices. And most of these go back to the time when it was common to leave food at a cemetery. Hmm. And generally the food that was left of it was the food that the people who were dead preferred or, or ate. And generally that was sweet food. Very early on, some of these practices were converted so that it was not so much leaving food at the cemetery as having a family meal and setting a place for grandma who had departed. But her place was still there, her chair was still there, her plate was still there, and it was filled with food. And no one imagined that Grandma was going to eat any of that, but they acted as if she was there. It was a family meal, and Grandma should be there. Right. Then, at the end of the meal, they would take the food and give it to the poor. And generally, that food was food that Grandma would like to eat, which would include sweets, but also other things as well. And so it was a way of both acknowledging Grandma's Grandma's real presence there, even though she was departed, and helping those in need. That's what happened for the most part throughout Europe um, with the custom that grew up as Halloween. In a small minority of places, mostly with the Druids, came the idea that November 1st or thereabouts not necessarily that particular day, was the day when, as the year shortened, as the length of time for each day shortened, the dead would come out to play and to haunt. And so the Druid custom was, let's buy them off with candy. If we give them something sweet to eat, they will not bother us. Or let's dress up like we're one of them, wearing skeletons or ghost costumes or anything of that nature. And then they'll think that they're that we're one with them and they won't bother us. So the dressing up in costumes and the eating of sweets or the asking for sweets and the phrase trick or treat, which was kind of a subtle um, threat to say, we are the zombies that won't bother you if you give us a treat. Um, all of that is is built into these customs that we now call Halloween. I think it's very 
significant that these customs increase and ramp up as America becomes more secularized, or to say it in more precise terms, as they become more nominally religious. No one in America is actually anti-religious. They tend to be nominally religious. So I, I think it's it makes sense to me, at least, to see that in the last 30, 40, 50 years, the practice of Halloween in terms of dressing up costumes, sweets, trick-or-treat, making this a big deal, besides being a marketing ploy, is also a, a way of acknowledging that um, these sorts of practices come back to the fore while the church practice of All Saints Day and All Souls Day has diminished. So this is a way of um, staying in touch with some spiritual or numinous realities? Certainly that's the case in Latin America. The Day of the Dead is played up quite a bit there, and it actually makes this connection clearer than Halloween would. Halloween now has become uh, wearing costumes of, uh, you know, princesses or Richard Nixon masks or anything of that nature, rather than um, ghosts and skeletons. I mean, you see those in the yards, but that's not actually what the costumes are that the people are wearing as they go from place to place. Hmm. But at the very least, it is still uh, some some celebration, some opportunity to do something holiday-wise when um, holidays are fewer and farther between than they used to be because of the gradual nominalization of religion and its accompanying holy days. True, but I would I would hesitate to use the word holiday because holiday goes to holy day, and I hmm. I, I think that Halloween, as it's practiced now, has a, um, a very very limited connection to anything holy. Um, that doesn't mean I'm opposed to it or am anti Halloween. I'm just sure. saying the connection with that in the church is not there to the point that in, for example, our parish, if we were to celebrate. Um, All Saints Day, on the evening before, which um, we have done with other feasts, we will celebrate them not on the day, but on the evening before, because a nighttime liturgy is easier for people to get to than a daytime liturgy. Um, we can't with this one. There, I would uh, have no one in church. They'd all be out trick-or-treating or doing their holiday, their whole Halloween, I should say, Halloween festivities, right. rather than coming to church because the one has displaced the other in the minds of some. Hmm. So our All Saints Day Mass is on the evening of November 1st, rather than on the evening of October 31st. Did there used to be um, more of an observance of, of the vigil of All Saints Day? Were there any liturgical services that, that would have been common um, historically in the Western Church? Yes. Um, First of all, for all major feasts, like All Saints, there was always a vigil service. So on the 31st of October, still in our calendar, we keep the vigil of All Saints. It is a, um, a day of preparation. It speaks of, the liturgical text speak of the approaching feast. And it's also a day of fasting, where we um, limit not only the kind of food we eat, but also the amount of food we eat. 
Um, in our practice following the older custom, about a thousand years older, um, on this fast day, there is no meat of, of any kind except seafood, and you are limited to one meal, which must be taken afternoon, and it need be a small collation or a small portion of a meal um, at another point of the day if that's necessary. That's the practice of preparing for the great feast of all saints. Again, no connection necessarily with All Souls Day. In fact, All Souls Day, or the Day of the Dead, is a later um, compilation that builds on what was done with All Saints Day rather than the other way around. So All Souls Day, then, is, in its themes, closer to what people would assume Halloween probably used yes. to mean you know, before it was Ronald Reagan masks when it was more ghosts and skeletons and um, placating ghosts and zombies and, and remembering grandma at the dinner table, that's what really the church is thematically more geared toward on All Souls Day, which is November 2nd. Correct. Correct. Okay. More of an anniversary of the departed. Um, as I'm sure you know, when a person dies, we have a funeral mass or requiem mass for them. And then is permitted another Mass on the third day after death, the seventh day after death, the 30th day after death, and the anniversary, in other words, every year on their deathbed. But All Souls Day is a way to collect not just that particular person's uh, departure and to pray for them and remember them, but it's a way to collect the departure or the anniversaries of all in the parish, or all in the community, or all in the family that have departed. Gotcha. And All Saints Day is in the Western calendar on November 1st, but that's not the case in the Eastern Orthodox calendar. It, can you explain why they're on different days? Yeah, this is kind of curious. I had to actually uh, dig through a few notes to... Um, because usually what happens when there's a dislocation between the Eastern calendar and the Western calendar, it's because um, one celebrates the day the saint was buried and the other celebrates the day the saint's relics were transferred. Or one celebrates the dedication of a big church in Constantinople while the other celebrates the dedication of a big church in um, Rome. That's what happens with St. Michael's Day. St. Michael's Day is very different in the two traditions because of the two churches of St. Michael that were dedicated in two different places. And so the East kept the Constantinopolitan date and the West kept the Roman date. Um, but this one's a little bit different. The, uh, the What I looked up, and I would recommend this book, um, A Handbook of Christian Feasts and Customs by Francis Weiser. Um, he has a very nice description of all of the different feasts throughout the year and this folklore that comes with it sometimes. Um, he describes how the whole notion of All Saints Day begins with the sermons of St. John Chrysostom, which he would preach on the Sunday after Pentecost in the Church of Antioch. Hmm. And so only in that church, only at that time, by St. John Chrysostom, he begins this custom of commemorating the martyrs. And that's what All Saints Day originally was. It was a commemoration of the martyrs for two reasons. Number one, there were many martyrs 
uh, so many martyrs that you could not have their feasts on the proper time throughout the year because there were just too many of them. And so the collection of all the martyrs on one day made some sense. And secondly, there were many martyrs whose names were never known. Um, when they you know, would wipe out an entire village or when uh, the Roman government would take out several thousand folks at once, um, we just didn't know all the names. So St. John Chrysostom started preaching these homilies on the Sunday after Pentecost. And that is still, in the Eastern calendar, the date for all saints. It's the Sunday after Pentecost, what we would know as Trinity Sunday. Mm-hmm. That custom comes over to the West about 300 years later, not quite, when um, Boniface IV, who is the Pope of Rome, is given as a gift by the emperor the pantheon in Rome, and it's given as a gift to be a new church. And so he dedicates it on May 13th as the Church of St. Mary and all the martyrs. And that dedication day, May 13th, becomes All Saints Day in the West. About 200 years later, Pope Gregory IV moves the date from May 13th to November 1st. And some have suggested, incorrectly, that that date was moved in order to displace the pagan uh, Day of the Dead stuff. Actually, it's a little um, more pedantic than that. The day is moved because folks would come in for this great feast of St. Mary and all the martyrs, and frankly, it was easier to feed them in November after the harvest than it was to feed them in May after Easter. Well, that's very practical. And so he moved it to November 1st for a very practical reason, because he wanted to feed them. Yeah. And so November 1st became the date for all saints and has been since around the year 840, let's say. By that point, it's already expanded from All Martyrs Day to All Saints Day. It was about 100 years before the move uh, when Pope Gregory III, in around the 730s or 740s, began to reference this day as not simply the commemoration of all the martyrs, but also the commemoration of all the folks who had confessed the faith but not been killed for that confession. Originally in Latin, the word martyrs was confessores, those who confessed, Hmm. which is a proper translation of the Greek word for martyr. But over time, there became what were known as white martyrs, those who had made the confession of the faith, who had sacrificed their life for the faith, but had not been sacrificed or killed for the faith, which began the distinction in the church calendar between the martyrs and the confessors, and then pretty soon it blossomed into the confessors who were bishops and the confessors who were not bishops, and um, the confessors that were virgins and the confessors that were not virgins, and all that sort of thing. Right. Um, so... Pope Gregory III said, no longer, I'm sure you'd say this bluntly, but I don't know, no longer is it just All Martyrs Day, it's All Saints Day. We recognize all of those who have gone before us in the faith, who um, pray for us, and who are saints before God. So by the time that Gregory IV moves the date to November 1st, it is 
All Martyrs and All Saints Day. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and what about All Souls Day? You mentioned that it came much later. Do you know the, the history of that? Yes, it's um, the, um, the service of All Souls Day just kind of naturally grows out of the All Saints Day. And it's around, um, well, let me remember here, I believe it's around the year 1000. Yes. In about the year 1000, so shortly before the Great Schism, um, in the Monastery of Cluny, the abbot, Odilo, a saint, dec decrees that in his monastery, we should, on the day after All Saints Day, remember all of the monastics who have gone before us. Okay. So in addition to remembering the day of their death every year, he remembered all of them together on November 2nd. That is the beginning, at least as far as I can determine, of All Souls Day. And that expands out gradually, as many of these things do. They begin with one little monastery or diocese or whatever, and they expand out to include um, a practice that is then embraced by other dioceses, other monasteries, eventually the Church Universal. And that, that is what happens with All Souls Day. It corresponds to the Eastern practice of having a remembrance of the departed on the uh, Saturday before Septuagesim. Hmm. So they have their All Souls Day then. They Right before Lent begins for them, they have a commemoration of all the faithful departed. Ours happens to be November 2nd, and it grows out of this custom from the monastery which goes then from monastery to monastery and then into diocese, and pretty soon it's embraced by the entire Western Church. And the idea is we're commemorating all of those who have died in the faith in this diocese, in this family, in this community, in this country, however they, they want to be explained. So now All Souls Day is uh, a fairly re remarkable day. I think liturgically, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of it, draws on uh, the liturgics for a funeral mass in the in the office in the mass is it, it is in fact it's exactly the funeral mass okay um there are different the only differences would be the gospel reading and the epistle reading and those differ between um the day of the funeral the third day the seventh day the 30th day and the anniversary and all souls has its its um but other, otherwise, everything else is the same. The, the chants, the prayers, everything is from the funeral. Does Do the liturgics have anything, if any of our listeners know uh, much about the liturgics, and especially about the great um, sequence hymn, the Dies Irae, I mm -hmm. am anticipating that there might be a little bit of um, curiosity, some questions regarding the current, Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory. Is there any of that current Roman purgatorial doctrine in the liturgics of either the funeral mass or All Souls Day? The whole liturgical texts, including the Dies Irae, those predate the medieval understanding of purgatory which I would argue, having um, 
studied this and spoken to a number of Roman Catholic scholars, that is not the same as the modern understanding of purgatory. The medieval understanding, which is usually what is taught in the craw of most of our throats, whether from a Protestant background or an Orthodox background, has to do with an economic system. It has to do with um, the suffering of souls in purgatory. So it's not just a cleansing, it's a suffering with lots of flames. It has to do with an understanding that we're not sure where this person is. So there's a state of unclarity about their position, um, whether they're going to go to heaven or not. And so we have to pray them out, so to speak. Um, there's a, there's a um, misunderstanding about the whole notion of time, that you can get so many days off as if there are days being counted, as if there's time and clocks in the eternal realm. All of that is part of the medieval system. And the liturgical texts that we use, which are the ones that pre, which have been used for centuries, predate that. So what's happened is that medieval system is read into a pre-existing text. And so what was thought of in, let's say, 1600 or 1700 as the common teaching now is applied to a text that is much older than that. It also means that if we can get beyond that medieval system, that medieval understanding of purgatory, to a more orthodox understanding of the necessity of having ourselves cleaned and purged to stand before God in holiness and righteousness, if we can extract out the medieval thing of flames and the state of unclarity and the time system and the economic bartering of merits and and, and all of that sort of thing. We're still back to the texts that did not have that in it, where that stuff is read into it. And so we can still have those same texts where that stuff is not read into it. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm being clear. Yeah, that it's, I mean, sounds like what you're saying is these uh, texts are um, only associated with certain erroneous ideas because the texts were already there and the erroneous ideas cropping up later were then uh, used to interpret the texts that were previously there. But we need not associate those texts, the liturgical, uh, the sequence or, or any of the, the prayers or anything like that with the later uh, errors, but that they can still be um, read in a completely orthodox way is that is that right correct yes exactly and as and and here the key point is what i said earlier that the all souls day liturgical texts are the funeral texts so they're repeating what is said at a funeral and the funeral notions which are very old did not have this um Incrustation of the, of the of the notion of purgatory as it was developed during the the Middle Ages, especially prior to and after the time of the Reformation. So, with All Saints' Day and All Souls' Day both having their analogs in in the East, and both being able to be um, celebrated in the West with their, their Western uh, words 
music, traditions, actions, and everything in a perfectly orthodox way. Um, and having developed in the West, as you said, the the date of All Saints being moved, not in order to displace a, another pagan holiday, but out of practical purposes. But then All Saints and All Souls being sort of serendipitously close to this um, Celtic, especially in the British Isles, habit and tradition of thinking about death and, and the veil you know, between the two worlds and, and all of that on October 31st-ish anyway. Um, in, in the West, it seems some, some people call this three-day chunk of, of time where we are thinking about death and heaven and hell and the beyond and, and those saints and souls who have gone before us as sort of hallowtide this this uh, some people have even gone so far as to call it the hallowtide triduum sort of to you know <laughs> elevate the the first day of the three halloween as almost its own inclusive day and certainly in our country in america anyway halloween has the larger societal cultural weight attached to it it's what people are more familiar with. Some people have heard of all saints, maybe fewer have heard of all souls. And uh, even the the Hispanic, specifically the Mexican uh, Day of the Dead is, is becoming more and more on the uh, radars of people. So as Orthodox Christians, and specifically as Western Rite Orthodox Christians, what do we do with all this? You know, how, how do we acknowledge Halloween? How do we um, acknowledge the Day of the Dead imagery and traditions that are um, coming into America with our um, increasing population of um, Hispanic Americans as Western Rite Orthodox. How do we how do we deal with this? What do we do? Do we reject Halloween and and insist on just our liturgical days, All Saints and All Souls? Do we acknowledge Halloween and try to um, give some sort of a, a sense of its connectedness to all saints and all souls as a, as a pastor, what would you recommend? Well, I see three options. One option is to say, this is completely gone and there's nothing we can do about it and just give up on it and, um, kind of do a little resistance and say, okay, Halloween is bad. And kids shouldn't be trick-or-treating, and we shouldn't be doing these things and dressing up as ghosts and goblins mm -hmm. and all that, because it is just a pagan thing. And therefore, stop it. That's one option. A second option is to say, this is just gone, and it's, it's irretrievable, and we can't do anything about it. So let's switch over to the Eastern custom and move All Souls Day to... Uh, the time before Lent, and move All Saints' Day to the Sunday after Pentecost, which means we somehow have to move Trinity Sunday. Okay? And that way we just kind of say, all right, this was a nice experiment, and it, it doesn't work anymore. And those, frankly, are two options that, that uh, don't appeal to me, but they're very, two very easy options. And not just in relation to this whole question of 
uh, Halloween, All Saints, All Souls. But those are two options that many people find attractive in many aspects, which relate to the Western and Eastern cultural shift. Mm. The other thing we can do is what we've always done, and that is do the hard work of teaching folks. Reclaim what is ours. Say, it is fine for your kids to go out and do this, but let's understand what really these days are all about. It's fine to go ask for candy. It's fine to dress up in uh, costumes that are modest and poke fun. But let's understand that, that the liturgical traditions are greater than this. And let's understand that we need to celebrate the saints who have gone before us and commemorate the departed who have faithfully lived their life and received uh, Christian baptism and Christian burial. And let's put the focus there, not to destroy um, or speak against or abolish the custom of getting candy, but rather to place it in its proper context so that it decreases as these other feast days increase. But that takes hard work. That means we have to be willing to spend the time to research, to instruct, to encourage, sometimes to correct the customs that have gone before us. One way to do this, and it's, it's not practical in many places, it's not practical, for example, where I am, but it could be practical in other places, is to have the congregation itself, the parish host, an All Hallows' Eve festival, where you have some of that family activity with the giving of treats and the, and the dunking for apples and all that sort of thing, in addition to a liturgical service. Hmm. And then preparing for All Saints Day and putting it into its context. But again, that takes hard work. And too often, we're, we're more interested in following the principle of uh, Martin Luther and reformers by saying, these words, these actions, these observances are irretrievable, so let's stop them and either do something else or do nothing. Frankly, that was Luther's response to the word sacrifice. That was the uh, reformer's response to the word merits. That tends to be um, the response oftentimes to the word purgatory. Instead of looking into these things, like the word sacrifice, the word merits, the word purgatory, or the whole custom of Halloween, and saying, this has a, a root in it, and that root is good, and we should reclaim that. This is a teaching moment. We should teach. We should try to capture what is orthodox and bring it out from what has been covered over or encrusted with other things that are either less helpful or not helpful at all. That would be my encouragement. Well, as a seasoned pastor and priest in our archdiocese, I look forward to you uh, helping to lead the way in that and, and give uh, others in the archdiocese and elsewhere some good examples of how to do that um, in, in terms of your congregation and more broadly in terms of our culture. So thank you so much, Father John, for joining me and talking about all this. I really appreciate it. And it was illuminating. You're welcome. Thank you. Look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Anytime. Anytime.